Alright, alright, and we are back once again with another episode of the Reformed Singaporean Podcast Where, well, I don't think I need much introduction because if you have been listening thus far Chances are you already would recognise my voice Yes, I am Chris, the the Reformed Singaporean that the title refers to, yada yada yada, yup So we have come to the last letter, congratulations to all who have really listened throughout this series this topical tulip series Thank you and, and congratulations for making it to the last letter We have come to the letter P Which stands for the Perseverance of the Saints Now as you guys may know um, And as you, can, you guys can may, may tell by the dates in which This episode and the previous episode were uploaded um, They are very close by And that's because I really want to make up for all the lost time that I spent, you know, waiting for my microphone, which really, in my, in all honesty, took way longer than it should have. But I think, to some degree, also, um, I will need to show grace, cause you know, COVID and everything. I really hope that all of you are doing well, um, wherever you are listening from, uh, despite the COVID situation, that you are well, your families are well, and that yeah, God is still shining His mercies each morning in His daily graces, which are of no doubt, no, whatever may be happening around the world, God is always good, God is always gracious. Yes and amen. Now let's move ahead speedily as we wrap up this, um, I was going to say sermon series, but well, not exactly, topical series on tulip, the doctrines of grace, or some of us like to call it Calvinism. I don't think I'll need to have much of a recap because um, I trust that those who are listening to this episode would have it kind of fresh in their heads as to what the doctrines of grace are all about. But if you guys really need a recap, or if you guys really need something that, to really summarize it all together, then I think uh, one, or two, one of two options you guys can explore. One is you just, uh, if you have the time, which I will really so appreciate, you know, just go back and listen to all my previous episodes about Tulip. That would be great, and I would really appreciate it. You are great. Or if you are a little bit more lazy, which is fine and understandable, uh, you all can also wait for my next episode. Because actually, today's episode is not exactly it's not exactly the last one of the series. I'll be posting one more, which will be titled, you know, responding to objections against Calvinism, where I will really be dedicating one whole episode to tackle what people might have to say against all five points. That's right, I'll be quickly covering all five points with the objections as well as responses to those objections. And I'm really excited for that last episode as we wrap this series up. Also because in the following um, episodes to come, I'll be covering all other kinds of really, really exciting topics such as biblical apologetics. Now why is it important to have a biblical worldview? I think really look forward to that. Um, there are a lot of great stuff to be covered uh, I plan to be hosting a different kind of episode Instead of really me talking so much And you know, you could if it's me Instead of me uh, really teaching something per se um, I will just gather a bunch of my friends And we'll just talk about current matters Current issues And how do we approach everything with a biblical worldview And, and I think that's the theme that y'all can look forward to. That is uh, how to approach all things in life with a biblical worldview. Okay, so look forward to all of that. And here we go. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's not um, dilly-dally anymore. So what does the doctrine of perseverance of the saints talk about? Well, simply put, it's this. 
it really boils down to this. Can a Christian, <coughs> excuse me, can a Christian lose his or her salvation? Okay, it really boils down to this. Can a Christian lose his or her salvation? And this is really important because a lot of Christians today, they, they really struggle with this question. They really struggle with this burden in their head. You know, am I really saved? You know, we talk so much about you know, the elect and God choosing people to be saved. But you know, real talk, real talk. How can I know that I'm really part of the elect? How can I be certain? Can I even be certain that I am part of the elect? You know, so a lot of people question these things and these are very understandable and tough questions even. And I'm afraid that a lot of us, we don't really know how to approach these things from a biblical worldview, from a biblical perspective. A lot of us, we try to be helpful, but we end up saying some really unhelpful stuff. You know, let, let's face it, let's be real. We have all been there. You know, for, for those of us who are listening and those of us who are Christians, definitely you know, confirm plus chop. That, that's a Singaporean saying that, that, that means that I'm super sure that all of us, myself included, we have gone through phases in our Christian walk where we really feel so far from God, where it really feels so demoralizing, so depressing at times even. You know, that we, sometimes we even question, does God really love me? Am I really a child of God? A am I really an elect of God? And these are trying times, you know, these times where we face these thoughts, where our thoughts betray us, where the, maybe the evil one tempts us to really continue uh, dwelling in sin and all, all those bad things. Uh, these are real issues and, and that's why I, I, I find, friends, that um, it's so important that we tackle this issue properly, clearly, you know, with a biblical perspective. Now, First thing to get clear, I find, is that we must see this issue as first and foremost something that God does. Okay, that our salvation, okay, how do we know that God's saints will persevere to the end? That's why the doctrine is called perseverance of the saints. How do we know that God will cause his saints to persevere to the end? Is first and foremost because we know that God is the one behind it all. That God is the one doing everything, behind everything, controlling everything. So we know that, you know, with all the letters that we have been covering so far, we know that God has sovereignly saved His people, a rebellious people to Himself, given them new hearts. You know, we talked about irresist irresistible grace, previous episode, where God at any time in His sovereign will can, you know, you could say He snaps His fingers and boom! This dead sinner comes to life. There's no resistance. That's why it's irresistible grace. Because God... And His sovereign will, in His sovereign timing, brings the dead sinner to newness of life. So since God is the one who initi uh, initiates the salvation of the sinner, um, you know, there's no getting out of it. You know, because God is the one who brought us into His kingdom, there's nothing outside of God that can ever threaten to bring us out of that kingdom. Because God is the one who does it. Okay? And, and if we believe that indeed God is all-powerful, and He is, Nothing can indeed separate us from the love of God. That's why Paul can write in Romans chapter 8 that neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor rulers, nor principalities, nor powers, nor whatever can separate us from the love of God. Right, what a beautiful promise. Now, yeah, there's a reason why we, we have to look at the scriptures and, and 
you know, we see really all the different authors when writing about these kinds of topics, we notice that they are certain, okay? The, the amazing thing, the amazing thing about this is that they are all so certain that the Christian salvation is 100% secure, that the Christian's salvation is safe in the hands of Almighty God. Okay, a lot of us, when we question our salvation, it's always, it always comes from a point where we evaluate our performance. It always comes from a point where we look at how well we have been doing as a Christian. Have I been reading my Bible enough? Have I been fighting my sin enough? Have I been preaching the gospel enough? Have I been, you know, meeting this certain standard, which really, is it God's standards per se? Or is it really, perhaps, instead, a standard that's conjured up by my own imagination? Okay, by my own, you know, you could say, form of legalism. Okay, let, let's look at what the Bible has to say, say about these issues. Uh, one passage I really love to go to is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to um, 9. Okay, uh, 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 verses 3 to 9. Let me read it out for us. Okay, these are the words of the Apostle Peter, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, my friends, from that passage alone, we see quite a number of things. We see that the Christian is brought into an inheritance, a living hope, okay, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This living hope, this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Okay, we see that we have been brought into something that cannot be destroyed. We are brought into something that, by God's power, is being guarded. Okay? We know that actually our faith is being kept by God. And by God's power alone, we can be assured that nothing's going to separate that. Nothing's going to threaten that. Okay? Uh, let me very quickly, for the sake of time, just zoom in into other passages. Okay, let, let's look at Colossians chapter 3. Different author, same kind of message. Okay? Colossians chapter 3, written by the Apostle Paul. He says, starting from verse 1, chapter 3 verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. 
And then following that, the rest of the passage talks about instructions for Christians uh, to put to death their sin and to put on things that are pleasing to God. Now, uh, with this passage, let me quickly address a very important issue as well you know, that, that's part of this general topic. Now, we talk about the Christian's salvation being kept by God, right? You know, that there's no question. A Christian cannot lose his salvation. Uh, I think one famous preacher puts it this way. The very fact that we can wake up each morning and we are still Christians, is it because of how faithful we have been? When we wake up each morning and we still believe in Christ, is it because of how righteous we are? Is it because of how hardworking we are in our walk with God? Of course, my friends, no. It is only because of the keeping grace, the strong hand of God who keeps us, that we can wake up each morning and still believe in Christ. And my friends, that is amazing. That is a beautiful truth. Now, when it comes to passages like Colossians chapter 3, you will see instructions, right? Um, and we'll see later in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter also says, you know, confirm your election by pursuing all these you know, godly attributes. Right? So there's these instructions in Scripture, and of course, it's not limited to these two passages. Many of the epistles especially instruct Christians to walk in a certain manner. You know, test your faith to see if you are indeed in the faith, unless you are deceiving yourselves. Right? So there are strong instructions like that. And some Christians, they will look at these passages and they will conclude that, oh, that means that I can lose my salvation. Or that must mean that if I don't walk properly, I'm, I'm at risk of becoming unelect. You know, uh, at first I was an elect of God and then because of my sh shabby walk with God, I become unelect for some reason. And my friends, no, that is not what the overarching teaching of Scripture about this topic teaches. When we look at passages like Colossians chapter 3 and 2 Peter chapter 1, we realize that both authors in both passages are writing in the past tense. If you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above. Right? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Past tense. It has already happened. This is the Christian's status. Okay, this has already been sealed. Right? This is already what the Christian is. Okay? His, the very being of the Christian is one of a child of God. There's nothing changing that. And because you are a child of God, therefore, seek these things. Therefore, do these things. Therefore, all the instructions. Right? It is not action come first and then you become elected. No, no, no. You are first an elect of God. You are saved. You are justified. You, all these wonderful things. You are kept for eternity you are brought into an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, kept for you by heaven, by the power of God. Therefore, do all these things. Because, you know, Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. And we can expect that the regenerate person of God will bear fruit. That the person who has new desires, new love, a new love for God, will pursue these godly things. It is no question. It is no question. And it is also of no surprise that the unregenerate person would never want to pursue these things. The unregenerate person would see no reason at all to live in a manner that is pleasing to Christ. Right? It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect logical sense that a person who has already been regenerated, already been justified, already been made a new creation in Christ, will walk according to the ways of Christ. There is no such thing as a half-hearted Christian in that sense. There is no such thing as a Christian who 
says that he might, who professes that he might have been raised, but then he lives his life entirely different, that, that there's really no clear sign of sanctification, there's really no clear sign of growth, then of course we can safely conclude that that person is not even a Christian to begin with. Right, so I hope that tackles the, the question about what about all these instruction passages in the Bible. Now let's quickly move on to Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1. Great passage, beautiful passage. Let me read from um, uh, let me read from verse uh, chapter one, verses three to fourteen. Okay, uh, read read with me if you can. Open your Bibles with me if you can. Maybe that will make things easier for you. But let me just read read it out for us, starting from Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Now, I want to bring our focus to verses 13 and 14 in particular, where Paul writes to the Ephesians that in Him, in Christ, you also heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. And thus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed. It is a sign that you are saved. You are secure. You are sealed. And this Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance Notice the similar language. Remember, we are brought into an inheritance that is imperishable. And here Paul talks about our inheritance as something that is guaranteed with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, uh, I think that should be more than enough of a case to make regarding the Christian's security. Okay, this doctrine is called eternal security because uh, the Christian can be assured, the Christian can be safe and certain to know that they are safe in the arms of our God. Yeah, so remember in the previous episode, I, I cross-referenced to 1 John um, chapter 5, where, he's, where, where John says, you know, I write all these things. The very purpose of this letter, 1 John, the very purpose of me writing to you, church, is so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, the whole passage talks about the first John has a lot of instructions. First John has a lot of instructions. Don't get me wrong, right? And uh, the instructions for the Christian life are not meant to be easy as well. But 
it's interesting as to how John, towards the end of his letter, says that I write these things to you so that you may, what? Know that you have eternal life. And in the very same book, okay, in the very same book, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, okay, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, Oh, oh, this is such a powerful verse, a very important verse to know. Because a lot of Christians, okay, a lot of Christians will say, okay, I, 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 see, I see where you're coming from, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but what if, or rather, what about those Christians who were so passionate, who were so on fire, as some of them would say, for God, but later on in their life, maybe a tragedy happens and they leave the faith? What then, huh? Was the grace of God not strong enough to keep that person? My friends, again, we have to see this from God's perspective as how the Bible puts it. We can't really see this from a, man, uh, a man's perspective because you know, our, our minds fail, our hearts are fickle, right? We are prone to wonder. You know, that's why we need God to keep us. If not, we will fail, right? Uh, I think John MacArthur famously said this, if salvation were even 1% dependent on me, I'm doomed, <laughs> Right? If a Christian could lose his salvation, he would. If we could lose our salvation, we would. Because my friends, that's how fickle we are. That's how weak we are. That's how prone we are to wonder. Because even in the Christian life, we are so caught up in this war against the flesh. Our flesh still wages on, wages war against the spirit. And if... Really, we thank God that it is all by grace alone, through faith alone, because my friends, if it, even if it were 1%, even if it were 0.0001%, based on us, we would 100% fail. That's the truth. That's the truth. Okay, so coming back to that objection, which again, I will quickly address in the next episode as I wrap all of these things up. Okay, First John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Okay, we might have to read that again <laughs> because uh, just seeing it on the first glance might be a bit hard to digest. What on earth is John talking about, right? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Now what John is referring to here, I mean, yes, in his local context, is more referring to false teachers. But I think in its broader principle, we can extend it to anyone who claims to be part of the fellowship of the church only to maybe leave the faith or only to really, uh, in the end, really expose that they are not real believers. Right? The, the fact that they could be exposed as false believers really shows that they were never of us, that they were never a part, a true part of the fellowship of the church. They were really not Christians to begin with. Right, so for all these people who at one point in time, they might have looked like they were passionate for God. They might have looked like they were really on fire for Jesus, whatever that means. They might have really looked like really the perfect Christian, 
But later on, they really find out that actually, no, they, this is not really true. Right? It really only goes to show that from the start, they were never Christian to begin with. Because my friends, if you are indeed a Christian, remember that it is only because God made you a Christian. And if God made you a Christian, there is no undoing that. Okay, are we going to trust, are we going to look to the performance of men that fails all the time? Or are we going to look instead to the promises of God? The promise in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which says that he who began a good work in you will finish it at the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He will finish it. Because my friends, we must look at this doctrine as not just the perseverance of the saints, but rather the preservation of the saints. Because Ultimately, it is God who is preserving His people. And it is only first and foremost because God is preserving His people that is why His people can persevere. Let me say that again. It is firstly, first and foremost, because that God is preserving His people, which is why we can have the assurance that God's people can persevere, will persevere to the end. Okay, so my friends, that um, a lot has been said. A lot has been said. And as I bring this episode to a close, um, some, some applications okay, and some implications for believing this doctrine. Because my friends, this, I really hope that this is not just some head knowledge for all of us. Um, and I'm speaking to myself as well. This should not just be some you know, theological study, deep theological study that has no influence on life. But rather, no, I, I actually believe that all theology should be application and that all applications should be theology. I got that from the, the late Jonathan Edwards. Right? He, he, he said this, and I really totally agree, that all theology should be application, and all application should be theology. They shouldn't ever be separated from one another. So how should this doctrine um, encourage us? And my friends, I, I find that it should immensely encourage us. It should greatly spur us on to live the Christian life with confidence and with faith. Because we know that despite all our shortcomings, and my friends, we will fail again and again. Okay, and, and the, I don't even have to be a prophet or I don't even need to have the ability to, to look into the future. I know that I will fail God. I know that I will slip up in my walk. I know that there will be times where God feels so far away that I feel so far away. But my friends, it is these biblical truths that should serve to anchor me in the promises of God, that should anchor me in my walk with God, no matter how it might look like. These should be the very, very promises that keep me grounded in the faith, that keep me walking, keep me running in the faith. This is how I can be assured that at the end of my life, despite the ups and downs, I can look back on my life at the end of my days and say that I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. Right? I've run the race, fought the good fight, kept the faith. And I can say that with confidence. Imagine the security that we have. And the, the, the joy, the joy and thankfulness that we feel because we know that we have no part to play in our salvation and that it is God who keeps us on the right path. We might, take, we might slip, we might fall down every now and then, but because God disciplines His children, as the book of Hebrews says, God disciplines those whom He loves. We can be assured that God will you know, discipline us in love which will put us back on the right path. We know that God won't leave us nor forsake us. We know that in Him we are more than conquerors through Christ. That we know that in Him no one can bring a charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Romans chapter 8, read it. Romans chapter 8, it is so 
wonderful. The promises in there are so liberating, so beautiful. Now, I guess to really close this episode, let me just read for us one last passage. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. A passage that I encourage all of us to memorize, to keep, in, to keep dear to our hearts because this is one of those passages that I have really made the effort to memorize because it is really so dear to me. Okay, Paul says, starting from verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. My friends, this is such a deep passage, but to put it very quickly, this is what we call, what theologians in the past have called the golden chain of redemption. Why is this the golden chain of redemption? Is because all these things happen altogether. There's no separating them. There's no breaking them apart. Okay? We know that for, uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good. That God wills everything that happens to His children for the good of them. Okay, these are the people who are called according to His purpose, which you know, is what Ephesians 1 talks about as well. Um, you know, for those whom He foreknew, God knew us beforehand. God loved us beforehand. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God has chosen us to be conformed to the image of His Son, no matter what it might take, right? whatever it takes. Right? A little throwback to the Avengers, but you know, whatever it takes, no, whatever happens to us, it is all because God has ordained them for the good of those who love Him. He has ordained all these things, good and bad things, to happen to us in order to ultimately conform us to the image of His Son. All right. Finally, verse 30. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. There's no breaking this chain. All those whom God has chosen to save, He has also justified. They're safe. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Notice how all of these verbs are in the past tense. If you were to look at the original, original language for this verse, for these verbs as well, they are all action verbs that God does. These are all things that God does. Nothing to do with what man does. These are all things that God alone accomplishes to the praise of His glory. The fact that Paul is so confident, he writes that we have also been glorified. Like our glorification is secure. Right? We have not reached that state of glory yet, but because we have been justified, it's as though we also have already been glorified. We are, that's how safe we are. That's how secure we are, my friends. And that should encourage us. That will encourage us, I would add, in every adversity, in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil, as the hymn goes. My friends, that, that really brings me to the end of this episode. I hope this has really been encouraging to you as it has been for me. Uh, to me, rather. Um, and yeah, I, I hope that maybe you guys would use what you have learned to also encourage your other friends, your, uh, the Christians around us who might be struggling, the Christians around us who might really be questioning their salvation, you know, to point them to the secure hope they have in Christ Jesus. 
There's a reason why he is, uh, why Jesus is also called the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who, who uh, um, secures our salvations and he's the one who finishes it. Right. So go out there, my friends, and with the doctrines of grace, not just in what we learn today, but in all of the five points of Calvinism, with all of Tulip, let the grace of God humble you, let the grace of God transform you, and let the grace of God spur you on to action. And may you encourage others to do likewise. So uh, in, our, in our next episode, I'll be tackling the objections to Calvinism. Uh, very common objections and how we can respond to all of them with the consistency of biblical revelation. Okay, I hope you guys are excited because I am super duper excited for that. Till then, stay tuned. God bless you.